from Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is The Podvigate. We're law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvigate wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Saturday evening at 6 on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guests, please visit our website at thepodvigate.com and check out our social media pages. Hi everyone, I'm your host Christy Paredes, and in today's episode on property law, I will be speaking with Professor Waldeck. Professor Waldeck, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Uh, My name is Sarah Waldeck, and I have been a professor at Loyola. Well, I visited here in the spring of 2018 and uh, have been here ever since. I teach property law to first-year students. Sometimes I teach torts, um, and I regularly teach trusts and estates, as well as a seminar called Cultural Property. Thank you. And can you please provide us a general overview of your course? Sure. So one of the things about property law that I think feels different from other first-year courses is if you just look at the topics, it seems like a property course jumps around (laughs) a lot. Um, One day we are talking about how to classify estates and land, um, and then the next week we're talking about landlord-tenant law. So I would say that property covers a range of issues that affect personal property, um, which is everything except for land and real property, which is land. And that great thing about property law is if you can pull back and see the forest for the trees, there are these big picture theories and concepts that tie everything together. It is a beautiful subject. And for students who don't have a legal background, Do you have any suggestions as to how they should prepare for your class? So I actually think you should ask me two questions. I think you should say, what should students do before class? And then what should students do immediately after class? And before class, students should read the material. They should brief all the cases. And they should ask themselves, what do I think my professor is going to ask? What do I think my professor is going to focus on? Of course, when you're preparing for the first class, you really have no idea. Um, But as the semester uh, moves forward, you get better at predicting what questions the professor is going to ask because you've gotten a sense of the subject matter. You begin to understand what's important and what's not. Um, Okay, so that's what you want to do before class. And just as important as what you do before class is what you do immediately after. Immediately after or as soon after as you can, you want to go back to what you brought into class with you, your case brief, your like prediction about what the professor was going to focus on and refine it in light of what you've learned. And right after class is the best time to do that because it's fresh. Uh, And I think that most students find 
that some of what they thought was important going in, that that can just fall away because the professor didn't emphasize it at all. And then, um, you know, there may be something else where they're just like, wow, we didn't focus on that at all. And she spent 30 minutes on it. So that's an opportunity to go back and emphasize that for yourself. When it comes to cold calls, what do you look for when you cold call on a student? First of all, I so understand why cold calling is nerve wracking. Um, I also, I just so clearly remember the first time I was ever cold called in the fact that it's like all these years later and I remember it, right? Um, it's just this big thing. Uh, and I wish it, it it weren't. I might also add that I got the answer absolutely wrong um, when I was called, called on for the first time. And um, it was in torts, which sometimes I teach now. <laughs> so, like, everything just works out fine. So uh, your question was, do I look for when I'm cold calling? So the answer to that question depends on where we are in the semester and whether I am teaching a first year class or an upper level class. When I am teaching a upper level class or towards the end of the of a one L class, maybe a little bit earlier uh, than the end, but deep into a one L class. I hope that I will get answers that allow the ball to move forward. And that is different than like the right answer, like exactly what I was looking for. But I just hope that that the response is something that helps us get from where we're starting, point A, to where I want to end up, right? Point Z. Um, and uh, most of the time, I get exactly that plus a lot more. When I am teaching a first-year class for much of the semester until we get sort of deep in, I am looking for answers uh, that show me that the, that students are engaging with the material and that they've done like the work that they need to do before class. And as I say that answer, I am concerned that some of my current 1Ls will hear it and they will immediately think, oh my goodness, she called on me uh, last week and I like totally blinked. I, I just, I, I had to pass. Like that is okay too. Everybody in the classroom is a human being and like we all get that sometimes you just feel on the spot and you can't say what it is you wished you had. I wish that that students didn't get just as stressed about cold calling as they do because it is really extraordinarily difficult. Like in some ways, I challenge you <laughs> to disappoint either your professor 
or your fellow students with whatever you're going to say when you get called upon. I do think that cold calling is important because as a lawyer, I think it's um, useful to be trained to respond to difficult questions. So I think that there's a value in cold calling. Um, and, and I do cold call. I just wish people didn't get worried about it. And do you have any advice on how students should take notes during lectures? Yes. Uh, students should not try to transcribe. The key to in my opinion, the key to good note-taking is being able to pull out the main ideas and to write down what the professor emphasizes. In my class, if I really want people to write something down and I'm worried that like they're not going to recognize, recognize that it rises to the level of all right, this is something that I'm trying to emphasize. I repeat it multiple times. Like that's a signal, you know, uh, get that rule or that definition into your notes. You know, at the end of every class, a student should be able to say, okay, these are the important things that happened in that class. We learned a doctrine. We talked about three of the elements of adverse possession. I better know those three elements and how to apply the rules. And, you know, this other big picture property idea kept coming up all the time. Um, we talked a lot about putting land to productive use and owners not sleeping on their rights. That's what you need in your notes. The whole process of being a law student, it is taking an extraordinary amount of information and distilling it down to the essentials. So that's what notes need to do. They need to distill all of this material, including the like, you know, hour and 45 minutes <laughs> professor is talking down to the essentials. And let's say it's the end of the semester. How should students study for finals? So um, I've already previewed my answer to that question because I've talked about throughout the semester, a student has to take all of this material and distill it. So is it fair to say that I don't like your question? I don't like your question because it suggests, maybe the question could be heard as saying, like you start to study for the final at the end of the semester. But that's not how you do this. You you begin to study from, um, you know, the first or second week of class. So what I hope students have been doing all semester long is um, building an outline. Uh, I hope that at the end of every subject that we cover, they create an outline and they do that all semester long. And if you think about what happens with that outline, it is like the first pass or uh, it's one of the initial passes at distilling the information because in that outline, you are collapsing briefs, you are taking your class notes um, and putting what's very important into the outline. So like that outlining, it's another opportunity to make 
the information more manageable and more digestible. So what I hope is that by the time students like hit Thanksgiving, um, they have an outline for the entire course. Um, that outline though is almost certainly going to be much longer than it actually needs to be. So as the as like the final really is like right around the corner, what I hope students are doing is taking that outline and trying to shrink it further. Um, some of that shrinking is going to happen because things that they thought were really important back in week three, they're going to realize aren't quite as important as they thought. But the other thing, the other reason that the outline is going to get smaller is because students will have internalized concepts that, um, concepts that, uh, seemed very foreign when they were first introduced. Um, so like just to give in a couple of examples, it may be that um, your initial property outline actually contains a definition of trespass. I bet that right now in week seven, if you ask any property of my property students, what's a trespass, they could tell you that definition doesn't need to be in their outline. You know, maybe students know that the language that creates a life estate is 2A for life or 2A for their natural, natural life. All that can just fall away. So you shrink that outline. Maybe when the exam is like three days away, you can take out a single piece of paper and write down, I call this a checklist, what you expect to be on that exam, um, your predictions about uh, what you're going to be tested on. And at that point, you know, you're not even really including many of the rules. You're just writing like gift. And you know, because you've been studying all along that gift, uh, if it comes up, you've got to talk about intent, delivery, and acceptance. So like distill, distill, distill as you get closer and closer to the final. Um, and I think uh, beyond this uh, process I've been talking about, um, you know, study groups, they work uh, well for some people and not so well for others. The one time that I think everybody benefits from a study group is um, right around exam time, because one thing you should do to study for exams is work through the professor's old exams. There is so much more benefit to doing that in a group uh, because people in your group may um, pick up things that you missed. It might become clear during discussion that a concept isn't as uh, tight for you as it needs to be or could be. And then the other thing, and, and this is one of the most useful things that happens in study groups, you might find yourself explaining something to one of your classmates. And if you can explain something, you know it. I told my class that a student shared with me that uh, she was explaining to her mom, who is not a lawyer, all of the cases. I was like, what a great way to study. Because if you can explain that case, you know it. 
And do you have any advice on time management? Yes. My uh, one piece of advice is to stick to the recommended times. When um, a professor, when the instructions set, say, you know, this is 50% of the exam, just spend 50% of your time on that exam. Or if the recommendation is spend 45 minutes, follow the recommendation. It is so tempting to be like, I'm just going to take an extra five minutes here and I'll make it up later. That's a really hard thing to do. So stick to the recommended times is my suggestion. My other um, piece of advice is to remember that often it is the analysis portion of an answer in which a student can really demonstrate everything that they know. You know, uh, spotting the issue, um, knowing the rule, that like takes you out of the gate. If you really want to demonstrate what you know, it's in the application of that rule. Um, so I would just keep that in mind as you as you take exams. And now that you're a professor, what do you wish you would have known as a student? So I wish I had understood that there are many different routes to the same end. I think that uh, sometimes students, and I know I did this when I was a student, sometimes students have a particular career goal and they think that in order to reach that career goal, they have to achieve X, Y, and Z in a particular order. And if they don't, um, then they're not going to get to that goal at the, that they have at the end. So just as an example, um, you know, there might be a student who really wants to do a federal clerkship. When they are in school, um, they're not on the law journal, which might be something that a federal judge is looking for. Or um, uh, they interview for federal clerkships and don't get any. Um, if that's the goal, um, there are other ways to get there, right? You clerk for a uh, state judge and you love clerking enough that you decide you want to go to that for that federal clerkship again. There are so many different routes to the same end goal. And I wish I had just understood that the most important or useful thing is to evaluate each opportunity by asking, what am I going to learn from this? What am I going to gain? Not like, is this part of my plan uh, to get all the way to point Z? Uh, so that's what I wish law students would keep in mind. And what do you hope is the main takeaway from your course? I hope that, well, what I really want is for students to love property as much as I love property. Um, but I know that not all of them are going to embrace the subject the way that I do. So um, I hope that they leave my class understanding the extent to which property law touches on every single aspect of their lives from, you know, the time you get up and you're 
foot uh, hits the floor of that place um, you're renting or your own or which you're a guest, um, you know, until the time that you climb right back into that bed. Uh, I also hope that students gain an appreciation for the extent to which property law bears upon um, really some of the most pressing social issues of our time. Um, Monday, we're going to talk about the Fair Housing Act and housing discrimination. Um, think, think about the number of things that flow from what neighborhood you grow up in. That's property law. So, so I hope they gain an appreciation for the difference that good property policy can make and the consequences of poor property policy. Great. Thank you so much, Professor Waldeck. That's all from us here at The Podvocate. Thanks again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. Visit our website at thepodvocate.com for more information on this episode and our guests. The Podvocate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our editors-in-chief are Christy Paredes and Marissa Polowitz. Our associate editors are Neka Ugu, Marcus McNeil, Andy Vandenbush, and Casey Callahan. Special thanks to Professor John Dane and Dean Stephen Russian for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podvocate.